I was getting, I was getting a lot of no letters, and I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. If you really want the players to like you, just make them better. If I want to keep playing this game, you know, as a job, I, I have to continue to get better at that. You have to figure out a way to carve out some value that you have that you can bring not only to your team, but also your profession. It's really good information, and I pick up little nuggets all the time. For me, it's all about confidence, man. You, you have to have confidence to be a shooter, to be uh, a basketball player in general, and to have success. You, you, it's all about confidence. If they walk a mile in my shoes, then they can ball like I do. But my game different, not the same with it. I travel now, y'all just change, pivot. Shooters, welcome into another episode of the Shooters Touch podcast. If this is your first episode, we are grateful that you have found us. We hope you enjoy the journey. If you've been with us this whole time, we're so appreciative for you. If you can believe it or not, this is our 100th episode as we continue to try to grow the game of basketball in the great state of Iowa, one story at a time. And that's no different today. We bring on first ballot Hall of Famer, Adolph Kokendorfer from St. Ed's. Coach has nine state tournament appearances winning one back in 2000, as well as four runner-up appearances down at the state tournament. Coach takes a fundamental approach to the game of basketball, his coaching style, and you'll see it if you've seen any of his teams play. I had the unfortunate ability of having to play against him twice a year back in high school and never looked forward to those. He had the defensive principles, and he had those guys getting in position. Um, help defense was always there and so it was a, a nightmare for opposing teams and that's why uh, he has continued to to tally off so many wins at his time in Fort Dodge but we go over everything as normal uh, his story and his progression to get to Fort Dodge and ultimately um, how he's built the program that he has and so this one's a fun one we hope you enjoy it hope you get a few nuggets that you can take back to your program and remember as always shooters shoot <laughs> All right, shooters, as promised, welcome to the podcast, Coach K. Coach, how are you? Doing good, Brian. Yep. Another season going here already. and I like the group we have, so it's been fun for, so far. They work pretty hard in practice. That, so. Hey, you, that, as long as you don't have to coach effort, it makes, uh, makes your job a lot easier. So the kids are working hard. That makes a huge difference. And so, um, so one thing we got to clear up here before we get too far into this, Coach. Um, when so when did you start and were you the first coach k <laughs> no i don't think so you know i started when i started teaching i started teaching elementary phys ed and those kids could just not handle that last name yep so it was an automatic coach k so that's where that came from so uh, so let's see because i think now um coach k got i think started at um army was it yeah. Army? Yeah, in 88, right? So what year was what year did you start? Yeah, he was under Bobby Knight. I think. Yeah. Knight was the head coach, and he was an assistant, and then he took over as head coach, I think. And that was so that was 88. When did when did, did oh, I'm not sure. Where when did so when did you get your start? What year was yours? Uh, it would have been uh I, I started coaching when I student taught at a little Catholic high school in uh over by Dubuque, Iowa. It was it was called uh Holy Cross Leo. 
Okay. And we won, I was assistant baseball there, and we won the fall, last fall state baseball title sanctioned by the state of Iowa. So that was a lot of fun. Those pictures are something. Um, but then my first head basketball job was right after that was like 85, 86, something like that. Yeah, so then I think it's it's clear here that you're you are Coach K, and um, Coach K of Duke just copied you. So we'll uh, we'll run with that, Coach. But uh, uh, what we like to do here on the Shooter's Touch, we always kind of start with uh, the childhood. So so where did you grow up, and uh, ultimately, what role did sports play uh, in your life as a child? You know, I grew up in in Guttenberg, Iowa. That's right on the Mississippi River. It's just north of Dubuque. Um, and all my buddies were involved in, in sports. So we did it all the time. It was kind of a natural, we were, my dad liked to fish and hunt a lot. So I did a lot of that. But as I got to about middle school in those middle school sports, we didn't have traveling teams back then. So all my buddies in seventh grade and eighth grade and all the way up were all involved in football, basketball, track, baseball. So we did them all. It was a lot of fun. And then, so then through high school, um, obviously playing with a lot of those same buddies. Um, is there any certain um, memory that you remember the fondest and then ultimately a coach that maybe, whether you knew it at the time or not, started to kind of instill a little bit of this, hey, coaching path maybe? Well, you know, my football coach, Coach McGowan for my, um, Jim McGowan, he ended up going to Kemper eventually uh, from Guttenberg. He was uh, he was kind of a black and white guy. You know, this is how you do it. And there's really no other way you do it the right way. You do little things right. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I respected him. I know even at that age, just because he was so black and white, there wasn't a lot of politics. And, you know, in high school, uh, I, I don't know. And, and most of the time, even in college, I think you'd rather know where you stand all the time instead of have you know, have to play through the red tape and stuff. So he was like that. And I respected that. And I think, you know, that played a big part in how, well, how my philosophy developed, you know, with him. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We, we didn't really have a lot of great teams, but we really enjoyed competing and stuff. Yeah. And then had the opportunity to go on, right. And you played at the college level, played basketball. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I played my first year was at Richland Center, Wisconsin. It was a junior college. And that's right across the river. It's kind of, it's probably about an hour west of Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. So it was probably about a little more than an hour drive for me from Guttenberg to go there. Uh, I had a buddy go there before me. So that's how was my little pipeline there. It, it was a good experience. Um, still go back and forth with some of those guys even. Yeah, and then amazing those relationships. Even even for was it only a year? Because then because you did some time in Upper Iowa too, correct? Yeah, three years in Upper Iowa. Uh, in fact, one of those guys transferred to BV, and and the coach there at uh, Richland Center also became the coach at BV when I was a high school coach at Granville, which is kind of about an hour from Storm Lake out there in Northwest Iowa. So you know, I I go to those games and and then. Uh, when I was at Upper Iowa, I played against uh, uh, Ben Kiefer. He was my, uh, he played at uh, Richmond Center. He was sophomore when I was a freshman. So it was really neat to play against him when you just had him for a teammate a year or so before that. So that was yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. So then through this journey, through the playing, um, when, when did the coaching bug 
kind of start to hit you? When did you know that, like, hey, this this coaching, or were you always an education major, or how did that kind of come about? Well, you know, um, I didn't go to college right away out of high school. I did work construction and did a couple other things like that, and then then made up my mind I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Um, I had a junior high coach that got me involved in coaching, you know, with the junior high guys. I was like his assistant for a while, and then they needed a head junior high coach. And back then, you didn't need that coaching authorization or anything like that. You could, you could just coach. So I really enjoyed that. Just thoroughly enjoyed it. So um, decided that, you know, I liked phys ed. That was always a lot of fun. And I, I thought, you know, maybe I could be a phys ed major. I was a history minor, and um, that's when I started to really want to coach. So what was then, uh, once you, once you graduated, um, what was the first job? Where did, where, who gave you, who gave you the first opportunity? Was it, you kind of mentioned it, but it started in teaching and then transitioned into coaching or how'd that all come together? No, you know, I, I wanted to coach. That was a big part of it. I either wanted to be a, a head coach, you know, maybe at a program. It's hard to get a job too, especially in PE. It's kind of competitive. There's a lot of PE majors out there. But uh, I wanted to be a head coach in, in in any program, basically. But if I had to be assistant coach, I wanted to do it under a, you know, in a, in a quality program, under a coach that I respected so I could learn more. So I ended up being, I got hired at Spalding Catholic High School, Granville, Iowa, out there by Orange City. And uh, I was there for seven years. And we, uh, we turned that program around kind of. So that was kind of neat. They were like 10 and 50 you know, the few years before I got there and when I left, we went 80 and 63. So we had some good years. We just had to run into Boyden Hall all the time. They oh, were really yeah. cool out there. So, you know, we had three really good teams and we got, that was, uh, oh, Denny Wright was the uh, athletic director and uh, the Wright boys played. So they beat us on a last second shot one year and then they beat us by two points another year. Oh man. So, yeah, that was tough. You just we had to go over there no matter what. So, yeah, but that's, you know, tough. that's tough. That's definitely a tough matchup to go to Boyden Hall. Um, so what, what do you what do you think um, in that uh, being an assistant? Like you said, you wanted to be a part of a program, obviously a successful program, one that you guys helped kind of turn around. Um, but going from player to coach. What was maybe a few of the things that really kind of opened your eyes to the coaching side or that you felt that you learned in that first couple of, couple of years on the bench? Well, really, I learned that, you, you know, you, you couldn't be their friend. You can't, you can't be their buddy. Um, and that, that part of that was learned when I was student teaching and more as I got into being a head coach at the high school level. They, they may act like they want you as a buddy, but they don't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have to get them to do stuff that they really don't enjoy sometimes if you want to be successful you know you got to kind of be out I, I was told by my uh Denny Rima was his name he was a head baseball coach at Leo and then he went to a Loris College and was the head coach he told me you just got to be a jerk I mean that's just the way it is that's the way they look at it because you're yeah. you're forcing them to do things that sometimes aren't fun but they have to do to be successful and you know I kind of that was an eye-opener for me because it was it was tough because you know, nobody likes you a lot of times. You go to practice and they, nope. they, aren't, they aren't really enjoy, overjoyed to see them. But uh, we, we got it turned around. We did. It took about, you know, when you go to a new job, you have somebody else's players for about two years at least. So, you know, one thing I, I learned early on was that, you know, well, I had a high school coach, my football coach I got my junior year. He completely changed everything the other coach had done 
in one year. You know, numbering system, how you're going to block, got really complicated. Well, we weren't very good then when we did have a bunch of seniors coming back. So I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll at least just kind of integrate some uh, some changes, but yeah. but try to stick with some things he did too. So they're at least they're comfortable with those changes and they're, they weren't too much or that they could handle them. So uh, I think that was a big thing for a few years there. Well, and I think too, with some of that is, especially at the high school level, and when you know you have to deal or have the talent in which that you're given, and so you have to kind of make some adjustments. And so I think you're kind of finding yourself too, because you have this vision. I know at least like I did going into coaching, it's like here's what I want to do, and then there's what you can do. And I think that the balance, like you said, not just trying to go in and force a round peg into a square hole right away and change everything and make things more complicated for the kids, even if it's not exactly um what you're looking for but uh yeah, you got to kind of take it one step at a time and and I agree with you too coach when when you talked about you know you got to be a little bit of a jerk you got to be kind of tough I think all the best coaches are that way um especially when you play for them and then when you get on the other side when you're graduated and you've moved on then you become friends and you you kind of really enjoy and you appreciate that relationship and what they were able to do for you because that's how they ultimately bring the best out of the kids yeah, you're exactly right, Ryan. That's uh that's a tough transition though from being a player to that coach where now you gotta be the guy that that gets them out of their comfort zone and stuff. So we've had uh we've had a lot of like GAs, uh college GAs who, you know, that's the next step after playing in college. And they say that that's the toughest things because they were just teammates with these guys a year ago and now going playing video games and doing that stuff is no more, you know, because you gotta you got to hold yourself at a little bit different standard once you're once you're on the bench. But uh, so then when uh, when or how did a, a head position come about? Was were you saying, hey, I want to run my own program? I've, I, you know, I think I've gathered the information or uh, was it an opportunity you just couldn't refuse? Well, you know, you apply for a lot of jobs and, uh, you know, if you don't have experience, it's hard to get some of those jobs. You know, so you kind of question question that a little bit so I got hired probably in late July which is a really late to be hired for a for a teaching and, and coaching job and there it was head basketball so I was interested in it and I you know I applied and interviewed and uh somebody had just left they took a different job out you know, in Granville so I I uh, applied and interviewed and got the job um again we weren't we had some tough years starting out but you, you really, you really appreciate. I still have a note on my bulletin board from a from a from a farmer, a successful farmer in that area. That was really positive when things were going bad. You know, as a new coach coming in, you have all those people that oh, he's not very good. Look at the record; they're terrible. They're not doing very good. Um, but he would always come by the locker room after games and say, "You know, these kids are starting to work a lot harder than I've ever seen them work before." And he always had something positive to say to me, and it, it was so nice because you didn't hear a lot when you're not doing well. And uh, I never forget that. And he, when I left, he he sent me a thank you note and a nice card, uh, and I have that on my bulletin board. It was that's, that's, sometimes it's the little things. It's, it's amazing on how those little things will stick with you um moving so moving from the uh, second chair to the first chair becoming a head coach was there was there a part of that transition um in which that maybe caught you off guard or made you at least maybe opened your eyes a little bit to what these head coaches really have to go through 
Well, you're, you know, no matter what happens, you're held accountable for it. So, and that's something you have to be ready for. You know, you know, I had an assistant coach, you know, he was a college player yet that Westmark college was a football player there. He was really a talented kid, but he was doing some stuff, you know, he was still in college. So he was kind of hanging pretty loose and, you know, he got a little hot water and, you know, I had to sit down and have a talk with him and tell him, you know, this, this is now a job for you. You're now an adult, whether you like it or not. So when you come here, you have to act a certain way and, and dress a certain way. And, uh, so that was, uh, it's kind of an eye opener how you are held accountable to for just about everything. So yeah, you really have to pay attention to what's going on around you. Well, and I, I feel like you just wear so many more hats to it when you're in the first chair. I mean, you're still, you're still coaching basketball, but it seems like when you're the assistant, you, you focus on practice, you focus on basketball, make sure you have everything ready for the games. But when you're the head coach, you, you talk to the parents, you talk to the media, you are, uh, the guidance counselor, making sure every, I mean, it's just like, it, it's never ending. <laughs> you're doing about everything and you better make up your mind that you're willing to do it. You know, I, I do the floor. I've been doing the floors, dry mopping floors and wet mopping floors. And I don't even mind it for, you know, 30 some years. You know, people look at you like, why don't you have the custodian do that? Well, you know, I don't need to go bug him. He's doing stuff already. I just take it and you know, I've got 10, 15 minutes before practice and I'll go over it. Um, it's just part of you. you, you right. You got to do so many little things and you better be, be willing to do them if you're going to be successful. You really Absolutely. Do. You can't be above any job. That's for sure. And no. um, so then, so where does, where does St. Ed's come about then? So at, how, at what point then does the St. Ed's position come available and uh, walk us through that timeline? See, I, from Granville, I went to Freeport, Illinois, for okay. a year, Ackland High School, Ackland Catholic High School. And they had, a, they had some really good kids coming back, but they've, they struggled for a couple of years. So that coach left, and uh, I interviewed for it. It was head boys basketball and social studies. So, you know, I was equipped to do that. And I went over, and they had a 6'9 kid. And uh, they had a, you know, so they had some pieces to the puzzle. We weren't real deep, but this kid, uh, you know, he just was used to shooting jump shots all the time. Um, he could shoot them, but, you know, we just, we made him, I made him stay after practice and, you know, finish shots at the rim for, he had to make so many, you know, getting hit with the pad. Um, he didn't like that. And, uh, and we had, a, we had a really good shooter from the wing. We had another kid that could drive. We had a point guard come out that didn't like the previous coach. So he came out, you know, and he, he was willing to do what I asked him to do. He couldn't score a lot, but he could, you know, start the offense, facilitate things. And he did a good job. I mean, he was friends with the other. They were all buddies. So that chemistry helped a lot. Um, we ended up, you know, winning 25 games. And, and in Illinois, you, uh, you have to, there's only two classes. So we were a school about 115. And once you get into the tournament, we're playing schools of over 600. Um, so we won our first four games, which at Iowa, we, we'd be at the state tournament, which you had to win eight to get to, to get to the state tournament in Illinois. And, um, I think it was six, I think it was six because we, yeah, we lost like in a district final game to a team that had beaten us during the year, but we only went about six or seven deep and our big guy off the bench was about 5'10". He was kind of thick, but he wasn't too tall. Great kids, though, I'll tell you. And the big kid was Chicago sometimes, all-state elite. You know, he, he went to a 
North Chicago, University of Chicago. It was in North Chicago, like a mid-major type program. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, when those other guys, we had some good players, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. So how many years then did you end up there? One year, someone called me about St. Ed's and said, this job opened up. And, and, you know, we were only like an hour from Chicago and in Illinois, although it's a lot more urban than Iowa, Iowa is more, you know, it seems more farm country, more laid back. Even yep. the smaller towns close to Chicago are more urban. They were, you know, we had problems with gangs in Freeport and that was about the size of Fort Dodge. And it was, it was only like 20 minutes from Rockford and Rockford was a pretty tough town. So yeah. this kind of appealed to me. I talked to some people about St. Ed's once they contacted me and they had a lot of guys coming back. They had a really good group coming back and uh, a kid, Ryan Wade was transferring in. Now he was in Van Coleman was a big future stars. It was called oh, yeah. back then. It was a big AAU program. Well, he had him listed as you know one of the top 50 players in the nation in, in his publication. He was about six, nine. Kind of, kind of a, you know, more of an outside guy than an inside guy. Kind of yeah. slender, but could shoot it and stuff. So, you know, it all, it all pretty good. So I applied and there were some good coaches that applied for it, especially from the area, because it was a pretty good job with all these guys coming back and then him transferring in. He was from Rockwell City. So he had, he made, met these guys playing AAU in the summertime and he really got along with them well. And, and St. Ed's was more of a, school like Rockwell City smaller you yeah. know you get to know everybody senior high was a lot bigger then and he wasn't really comfortable in that setting so so I, that's I got that job applied and it was kind of a tough job to get and I got it and, um, so what was kind of so what was your so well two things we got to clear up everything so one you you replaced coach Collison then right correct yeah. and so Collison was there before and so he obviously went to Iowa Falls um, I, I believe took the AD position and then uh, ultimately took his his son Nick Collison um, with him. Uh, and so uh, the trade the trade then there becomes obviously Nick Collison. Iowa Falls gets Nick Collison and St. Ed's gets Coach K, which is going to ultimately um, work out really well uh, for the for the St. Ed's Gales. But um, once you once you got that head position. What, uh, what was one of the first things that you had on your agenda? What, what, what was it that you said, Hey, I, you know, we get to Fort Dodge, get to town. I meet my guys. This is what I, this is what I want to start to instill from day one. You know, I was lucky cause these kids are really good kids and they came from, you know, good, good families. And, uh, we just wanted to, uh, it wasn't hard to, to say, Hey, effort, we needed effort because they, they were ready to roll. They, they gave the effort. Uh, we went to a more of a motion offense. They ran like uh, a flex offense and a shuffle offense. We went more to a motion with some sets to it. I think they were really comfortable with that. Man-to-man um, -man defense pretty much all the time. I was lucky. They were a good group of kids. I still talk to those guys. I just got a text from one of them, Matt Jansen. He ended up going to BV. Uh, he wasn't being recruited. He was like a six, three tweener, you know, he could play on the block really solid down there. And, and I talked to Brian Van Haften. He was at the BV coach and he ended up recruiting him. And Matt was a captain with OJ Fraley from Garrigan yeah. for like junior and senior year, but they had, we had good kids in place there. So uh, we could let Ryan play the big kid that transferred in, play a little bit of perimeter stuff in that. And we, didn't need him so much on the block. Um, it, it was just a, it was a good smooth transition. You know, I had good support from the parents 
Um, we lost in the sub-state game to the eventual state champs, um, Osage. They had Adam Dahl, who was a Division Three All-American at Simpson. And they, they had a pretty good team. They beat us in a sub-state game. I think it was at Algona, too. All right. Yeah. And uh, so it was a good transition. We won 20 games, you know. And they, the previous year, they had won 13. Um, I wish we could have gone a little bit farther. But great relationships with those guys, you know. Um, and so that that was good. It, was, it wasn't a lot of, you know, we're going to change things and do this thing this way. That The motion offense, if you can play basketball, you you know, you can – and they were good basketball kids. They had good basketball IQ, most of them did. So they could read screens after a while and how the defense was going to play that screen or play that cut, and you could, you know, vary your cut that way or screen a different way. And, and so they did a real good job with that. It was a smooth transition. I was lucky. So then what was, what do you think uh, was the, the biggest thing oh, that you took away from that first year um, being the head coach at St. Ed's? What, what, what did you kind of open your eyes to, to what to continue to build on here as, as, as we move down the line? Our, our conference was unbelievable. That was our first year in North Central Conference. And it was, you had Iowa Falls, you had Humboldt was third in the state that year. Uh, you know, Iowa Falls got beat by Mount Pleasant. I think they were 3A. They got beat the first round of 3A that year. Uh, you know, we had to change our Humboldt and Iowa Falls game to Iowa Central, and we sold out Iowa Central, and they couldn't get enough. There was people still outside, which is crazy. You know, it, back then, you just, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, we played them both games out of Iowa Central. They were our home games, and, you know, they were good, man. They had, they had Iowa Falls, or Humboldt was third. They had uh, they had a bunch of good players, man. Um there's a Harclaw kid that played at Iowa State. He played yeah. football at Iowa State, Ryan Harclaw. And, and um, you know, there's a Fleming kid. He played at Northwestern College in Orange City. Oh, man, they had a bunch of really good ones. And Iowa Falls was loaded, too. They had uh, had the, the junior college coach, his son, playing. It was a junior college, real successful junior college coach at Ellsworth. Uh, I just don't think yeah. it'll come to me later. But yeah, he, yeah. He no. Six, eight, man. They were really good. And we ended up, they beat us. Well, we beat them twice that year, Iowa Falls. And uh, Humboldt beat us twice at, 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 at out of the Iowa Central. Then at Humboldt, both real close games. But that's what I took away was, my God, how tough this conference was going to be. I mean, Eagle Grove had, a, you know, a couple kids. They had a Hanson kid that, that caught at Indian, Indian Hills, you know. And they had a couple other guys. They had a, uh, what was his name? He ended up walking on at UNI and made the team a wildy kid yeah. uh, they were just they were the bottom of the league you know it was just dang competitive and that's well, the biggest thing i took away is and it didn't get any easier for you either because obviously you go to the next so 96 season i mean that's you know obviously algona is a class above but uh you know that's the team that went got second in state from algona um and you know keep moving i mean uh, iowa falls the collison teams i mean we we're talking we we're talking throughout this conference i mean just crazy competitive um you know from top to bottom like maybe there was one or two down towards the bottom but i mean it was bringing every night and um, what do you think advantage that you guys had being, a, you know, essentially a, a, at that time, a two A school in a three A conference? Well, if you could hang in there, you know, and, and just focus on getting better, you were going to get beat a few times, no matter how good you thought you were, or how good you were. You could really, it really improve you for the tournament, for the districts and things like that, going against that type of competition. 
Um, it was a lot more physical against the bigger schools. And then when you got to the district, it, it, they tightened it up a little bit, um, a lot more foul shot, but it really prepared you for the good teams that we would play in two way down the road. I think that was the biggest plus. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so obviously in my time uh, playing against you, Coach, one of the things that I always noted and knew, obviously very little as a high school player, you think you know, but you know very little. But playing against your teams was help defense. And what you guys did on the defensive side of the floor um, was, was unmatched, especially in our league. It just seemed like um, you always had guys in the right spots and always flying all over. So was that something that you came in kind of day one and really kind of started tightening the screws on the defensive end? Or where did the defensive philosophy start to come to fruition for you? That's a good point, Brian. You know, I like Mike Krzyzewski and Bobby Knight put out books on defense, and I have both of them. You know, it's all basically man-to-man defense and rotation and, you know, how you need to rotate to the block and back out and, uh, you know, the way you want to force guys and, um, you know, different trap areas and things like that. So we really did focus a lot on defense. Um, and I, I still wish we – it's a little harder nowadays, you know, since everything's so much more offensive. But uh, if you can get kids to play good, solid defense, well, that rotation's huge. You know, get those guards to rotate down, you know, from the weak side, cover things up, and then rotate back out. You, you know, if the ball is skipped, you can rotate back out and guard it. Or even reversed, you can still rotate back out and guard it. You know, a lot of them like to hug their man away from the ball. And, you know, and, and so you really try to get instill some of those values in them how important it is. And it's not that, it's not like it's, you know, rocket science. It's, if you can just get that habit of doing that, that's successful. So that, that was a good point because that was really a big focus for us. Well, and it always felt like, too, um, that you guys had the tendency in which that identifying, obviously, the best player or the player that you felt would be the most dangerous um, and had a concerted effort to kind of take them out of the game and let some of the other kids beat you. Um, and obviously over your career in nine state tournaments that you've been to, um, it's been successful. And so how, how is that something in which that uh, you kind of developed that philosophy and, and ultimately were able to execute? Is that, um, you know, just back, I mean, before, before we had the film sharing, I mean, is that having scouts out? Is that doing some film work? Like what, what does that look like to kind of know uh, and to be prepared coming into the game? You know, if you, if you played, you coached against them the year before, but we were lucky enough. I ran camps all summer long. So I could, uh, I could kind of wean kids. You know, I knew who was going to be a point guard in third grade almost, and they moved their feet well. And so we were lucky enough to develop really good, you know, hard nosed kids um, that could play defense. And I was lucky enough to coach them in high school in that we could, we usually had a lockdown guard. You know, our, our good teams did so we could we could put him on, you know, we can make it rough on most of those good perimeter players. And then, you know, if we had a we had a good defensive post and they didn't need to score a lot if they could front real hard. And that one year, uh, I think 2004, our, we had a six two post. He was first team all state. And he could use his left hand, right hand and he fronted constantly and he just fronted. He sat right on the you know, right on the quads of that big post player. Uh, I remember getting on him a couple of times about not being able to get the defensive rebound. He finally just turned around and said, coach, you realize I'm fronting this guy every time down the floor. I thought, you're right, man. I'll back off there, Nick. <laughs> but, uh, that was, yeah, I was going to say that was Sandvig, right? I would say you yeah, had, was, yeah, exactly. 
No. Yep. So I was going to say you had a couple guys. So that would have been, like I said, I was obviously 03. And so Max That's and uh, Max and uh, Sam Vig and some of those guys, too. I mean, it was just definitely played were undersized, but you would never know it watching them play. I mean, the energy and effort that they gave every night, um, they came with it and built themselves um, some some really nice careers, that's for sure. But uh, uh, so, Coach, I got to ask you specifically um, about a seven overtime game. Um, what do you remember about the circus that was that matchup? Obviously, I ended up on the short end of that, but seven overtimes in a high school basketball game. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was a it was kind of like you were you know when you watch those tournament games over Thanksgiving and stuff in Hawaii and they're running really late. You kind of had that <laughs> mindset after a while. It's like, oh my God. And I know that my wife, before we got married, she was at a uh, you know, her company Christmas party and she had called and left a couple messages on my phone and she really got mad that I didn't answer those messages. So I got a little hot water there too, but you know, we didn't get a lot of calls that game either. I think, you know, uh, Jack Brownlee fouled out like in the third overtime and we had some guys follow out. So we were really scraping, um, but we had some kids step up too. Joe Kuhlman, I think had 48 points, you know, and um, that was when they had the, the Nelson kid that played for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, yep. God, he was good. Jeez, he had 63, I think. Yep. But put a saddle on him. I, I tell you what, he he was a special special basketball player. Obviously, really good baseball player, but he was a special basketball player too. Um, you know, and that was a good team too. Those guys, uh, you know, had a good year and ended up yeah. running into it. Obviously, here, Brian, we had a kid. Uh, it was his end of the third overtime. We ran an out of bounds plays. It was like two seconds left. We were down three, and it was our fifth option. He was he was our post player. Uh, Mark Crawford, and he was open at the top of the key. We couldn't get it to anybody else. They threw it to him, and he, and he drills a three to take it into like the fourth overtime. You know, stuff like that happens. Um, well, and that stuff like that has to happen to get to seven overtimes, and that's what's crazy about it. Like you said, um, you know, probably your obviously your best player and Brownlee falling out in the third overtime. Um, and we know Jack, I know Jack well, and so talking with him and, you know, having to sit over on the bench is about probably the worst thing that could ever happen to him. And, um, you know, as that game just continued to go on, but it, it is so crazy. I mean, cause you essentially play a whole nother game. Um, like I said, I remember, I remember catching it on the radio and it's probably similar to your wife. I remember hearing the fourth quarter and it being close and then, I remember flipping it back and being like third overtime, like what's going. And then from there I was hooked. And so, and it just kept going. It was one overtime after another, after another, but seven overtimes is just a, a wild memory. Um, like, like I said, probably one that you wish you would have came out on the other end of it. Um, well, that's the thing, right. You get so much energy from a win like that. And it takes so much energy away from you. Hampton Dumont had a good team that year and they beat us the next game after that and we were number one in the state and we started out one and two so oh, that, man. That takes a lot away from you when you don't win it that was a good point well yeah. well it does i mean and like you said it's kind of like it's almost like losing two games when you lose a, a seven yeah. overtime game and just the energy and effort and um however though because that what what was that the, that was the 99 2000 season though correct yeah. in which then okay. um uh, you guys, you talked a little bit about it, obviously playing a tough schedule in a tough league, um, just kind of iron sharpens iron as you guys continue to move through. And um, obviously 2000 and the run that you guys went on the state championship, 
um, you know, the three games down at the barn um, was, was something special. And so what do you remember specifically about that, that 2000 crew and that uh, state championship? Well, they were pretty, pretty hard nosed kids. Um, uh, you know, we had a real, Jack was a really good leader. And you always say this about your best basketball players is that your best players make the guys around them better. And that's exactly what he did. He played to their skills. He still averaged, you know, he, he had the record for assists in the state of Iowa for the longest time and before the kid from North Lynn got it. But he still averaged 21 points and probably like 12 assists a game his senior year. And those guys scored a lot. He got in the lane off the dribble. He was just, he made everybody around him that much better. He knew how to play to their strengths. Um, and so they played hard when you can get on your, you know, your best player about, you know, something in practice, the rest of the guys are going to listen. And I've, I talked to him about that. You know, sometimes it's not even going to be your fault, Jack, and I'm just going to drill you and you got to be able to handle it. He said, we kind of wink once in a while, but yeah, those other guys fell in line and we did have talent. We had a Lewis kid transfer in from Ankeny, John Lewis, who's about six, two, six, three. Um, it took him a while to, to, to start and things, but, uh, he helped us a lot. You know, he averaged by seven, eight points a game and six, seven rebounds. And, uh, see that fit right in with the rest of the guys. They got his, those families lived kind of close together. So they kind of got to know him during the summer and stuff, John. And, uh, it was a, lot, a really good chemistry, super good chemistry with those guys. Well, and you mentioned obviously with Jack too. I mean, he could kind of do what you needed him to do. He could score if you needed it. Um, like you mentioned, I think it was against the Clarion team. He could go out and drop 22 assists or whatever wild number he it was. That game. And we went back and looked at the tape to make sure. And yeah. we had 22. Yeah, which is, which is crazy too. And obviously if anyone, you know, saw or watched Jack play in high school, I mean, we're talking 150 pounds dripping wet and just, uh -huh. He was, <laughs> he was a little guy, but he had a quick first step. And like you said, high, huge gym rat, high IQ. Um, and then obviously surround him with, you know, some tough guards and Keegan Clemens and Coolman and, and the rest of the crew in which that you guys had. And, um, you know, get you guys in the, in the position to get down to, to at that time, the barn um, and go on the run that you did. And um, ultimately Jack, I think ended up with had 36 in that state championship game. 17 in overtime, I believe it was, or, something, or in fourth quarter, I mean, and yeah. um, just really, you know, solidified that group in that um, season for exactly. you. Yeah. So what do you, what do you remember about that, that experience at the barn? Well, you know, we played the number one team in the state, North Cedar to start out. I think we were like, we had three losses. We were probably rated seventh or something like that. So we had to play them right away. Um, and they were really good. They, the coach's son there, uh, Kedley, he ran the 400 at Baylor. So he, he was a heck of an athlete. He was a point guard. Uh, he went to Baylor on a track scholarship. Uh, they had us down about the whole game. And, and it was just, it's, a, it's too bad for the, for the kid, but they had a post player that just didn't shoot free throws very well. And we fouled him constantly. We just, and he was like six out of 18 from the line, you know, and you hate to see a, a kid go through that because that's a tough thing to go through if you're a kid, you know, you always think, well, if I would have made 50% of my free throw, we beat him by three, right. we would have won that game, but it was our only option. They were pretty good. So when he started get pumping in the inside to him, we just followed him. 
and put him in line. He just couldn't knock anything down, you know, after you miss a couple too. So uh, Jack had a really good game, you know, and um, I think Joe Kuhlman had double figures and everybody pitched in. We ended up sneaking that one out by about three. Jack made a few big free throws late. And, and then we beat Rock Valley the next game. They were, a, they just came down from 3A the year before. So they were a big 2A. And Rock Valley's in Northwest Iowa. You know, that's Boyden Hall. That's Hall Western Christian. And, you know, they're going through that all season long. Yeah. So, you know, Jack made a three-quarter court shot at the end of the third quarter, banked it in. Um, and we ended up beating them by four. And uh, I think Corey Bardfried had a tip dunk. I remember seeing that in a paper. It's in the Sioux City paper. Uh, we all they all chipped in and, and did a great job. Uh, we were down that game too, and Keegan and Jack ran a you know run and jump on the, on one of their guards in the uh, in the half court in the offensive end of the court for them. They ran a run and jump, and he stole that and went in for a layup. I think to cut it to one, and then Jack got fouled, made a couple free throws, and then uh, ended up winning by four though. So that was another barn burner, man. It was. In the state championship game, we we're down 11 with under five minutes left. And I just remember calling a timeout, you know, you're like, well, give this a shot. We don't have much to lose. Right. So I drew up a play for Joel Kuhlman in, in the corner. Jack was good too. You know, he's one of those kids. And, and I've had a few point guards like that, that see the floor and can picture what you're telling them to do ahead of time. Yep. So we ran uh we had Joe Kuhlman on the opposite block and he had Keegan Clemens uh, come off a, a baseline screen off of Joe Kuhlman. And then uh, Corey Bart, no, it was a John Lewis come out the other side and Jack went hard at Keegan. And they know he had 35 threes in the year and he only had two points at the state tournament, but they weren't thinking you know, that you're, yeah. this is the way you go into that game is this kid can shoot it. We better guard him. It's because yeah. he's not hitting them now. So we ran hard at Keegan in that opposite corner. And Joe came off a, a – then, you know, Jack dribbled it hard at him and then reversed the ball. And Joe came off a screen from Corey Bardfree. Now, he could go high or he could go low, depending on how defense played it. And he went low. The guy got caught on the upside of Corey. And Jack brought it around and, you know, threw him a nice left-hand pass. And, and Joe sticks to three, you know, and cuts it to eight. And they're, they're, they're revved up now. And – and Jack just took over, you know. So that was the thing I really remember was it was our last, kind of like our last hurrah here. Hopefully we can knock something down and get a little momentum going because they're <clears throat> they're killing us right now. But, I'll tell you what, that your recollection of that, Coach, I mean, we're talking, this is 2000, Coach. I mean, geez, that's oh. 20, 21 years ago, and you're recalling it like it was uh, last I, week. So, guys, you know, yeah, those relationships that you build with kids are the really neat things, and you never forget some of those little goofy things that happen. I could remember, uh, I remember those summer games, you know, Joe Kuhn shaking up a, him and Jack were screwing around in the van and Joe shaking up a, a can of Coke and supposed to hit Jack with it. And he hits me while I'm driving. It's <laughs> like, what the heck? This goofy stuff. Well, yeah, you, it was a lot of fun and it, build great relationships. You probably never forget those locker rooms at the barn either and uh, trying oh to God. prepare or make adjustments at halftime in one of those things. They were the worst locker rooms you could ever find for a state tournament. They were, there was one nice-sized ones. The other ones were just little. I couldn't believe it. But for the state championship game, we had to stretch outside in the hallway because there was no room in it. And I, that's just the way it was for everybody, too. We weren't the only ones going through it. So yeah. 
A lot of good players that uh, were in and out of that uh, in those locker rooms. But um, yeah. So, so obviously getting the, getting the championship in 2000, um, like you said, kind of coming, um, you know, from the area, especially, you know, North Central Iowa, you know, we knew how good St. Ed's and Jack Brownlee and everyone got to see it kind of on the big stage. And um, like you said, coming from, you know, seven, eight seed to be able to win that state championship was awesome. And, you know, and a lot of teams have, have done similar things, but the way that you kind of followed this up and, um, continuing to, to find the St. Ed scales down at the state tournament and down at Des Moines time and time again. Um, what was it coach? Cause I, so, so if I have this right, so 2004, six, eight, and 12, you were runner up. And so is there, is, is there something where the experience, the, the experience that the sophomores get then leads you to their senior year or, or walk me through a little bit of this run between 2004 and 2012. You know, that's part of it, Brian, you know, that success. And then they are part of it most of the time. Um, you know, mostly that one thing that I noticed is that that parents let you coach their kids. They didn't get involved. They might say stuff, you know, they get upset. I'm sure I heard stories in the bleachers, you know, and they would get up. But they for the most part, they let you coach them. So that was so big. You didn't have interference with parents coming in and saying, you know, my son does this a lot better than that. Well, you know what? He needs to do this for our team to be better. That's, and he has to sacrifice a little bit. They, I really remember that because I know Nick Zanvig, he played as a freshman and he got in a little trouble. He wasn't, you know, working hard at practice. He, he wasn't catching up and squaring to the basket. Every time he caught it, we said, Nick, you got to square to the basket. You're a quick kid. You can't play with your back to the basket. You're not big enough, not consistently. And so we, they'd have to run every time Nick wouldn't catch and square. You know, most kids would go home and tell their parents what a big jerk I am. But he didn't. He, those guys got on him enough and peer pressure worked. And, you know, by the time he was a junior and senior, he was, he was really tough. Uh, that's a big thing that I remember is, is that, uh, very supportive families, good families. And, and again, the kids, that success carried on. Like I know in, in 06, Sam Condon, he came over from Manson, um, his eighth grade year. He, he always went to our camps too, when he was in school over there. And he told me that straight up, you know, he wanted to be there. He wanted to be part of that, that, you know, that looks like a lot of fun. You know, and there was that that's important that you can get success started and those younger guys can be part of it. And, you know, all the freshmen, we had freshman guys be our stat kids all the time. So they were in the locker room during those games and they were on the bench, in those, you know, when it really got exciting and the, the crowds and it was packed. And so uh, that had a big, th big part of it. Yeah, success definitely breeds success. And that's something that, like you said, it, it motivates those kids in ways in which that, you know, going full circle to what we opened up with. I mean, as long as you don't have to teach or coach effort, um, you can get a lot, you can get a lot done in a year. Um, it, it also helps when you have what a rotation of about for sure three families that you know that you're going to have a kid on. I mean, how many flattery kids have you coached over the years? Last we graduated last year. Oh man. Yeah, it, you're, you're right. There was those three families, you know, Terry, Dave, and Dan, um, and they all love sports and they, those parents, those Dave, Dan, and Terry were so supportive. You know, I remember Joe tweaking his ankle and he pitched at Kansas state. Joe did, yep. you know, 
and uh, he tweaked his ankle in a practice before a big game. It didn't swell up or anything. And trainer was going to ice it down. We still have half practice to go. And I, you know, I, I didn't look bad to me. So I, I called up Dave <clears throat> quick while the trainer was talking to him. Dave just said, have him tape it up and go. If he's not swelled, he's fine. <laughs> and that's the kind of support you got. I remember, you know, yeah, you don't want to ice it because then he's done for it and we have a big game coming. He was fine. You know, he he was fine. But, it, uh, that's a, that definitely makes a difference. But yeah, like I said, I mean, it just felt like um, and not only basketball, but obviously baseball and all the other sports. Yeah. There was always always one, usually two flatteries. And then I, you know, ran into some Clarks too. I mean, there was always, always a Clark yeah, around. Yeah. You knew Nick or name not Nick, Zach. Yeah. Now his knee was really bugging him towards the end of his senior year. And we were getting ready to go down to state and, you know, we brought his dad in and we were going to, we we're wondering what we should do with this knee. A cortisone shot would have been good, but we didn't think of it. And, uh, you know, if, if, if he went to the, you know, the knee and ankle guy, there's a chance he might not be playing play at the state tournament. So we just, I talked to dad, Scott, and just said, you know, what do you think? He goes, ibuprofen. <laughs> you know, and he shot, didn't shoot the best at the state tournament. And I know that knee was bugging him, yeah. but, and he got it looked at and it was okay after the season, but you could tell it was bugging him. And then me, like a bonehead, I have him guard the guy from, uh, PCM that plays tight end for Iowa and then plays for the uh yeah, brand of my yeah Jeez. just beat him up <laughs> we finally switched sandvig to him a little bit but uh yeah. yeah that was just an instance of you know the parents were very supportive and and um they were fun to be around and the kids were pretty tough kids and and, and rightfully so. And then a few years later you get to the, the next Clark kid who it, now Nick's on staff with you is that correct? He was, he was, he was. Yeah, he's doing some banking now. So. Okay, cool. And so he, you know, obviously he came along. Um, uh, you mentioned the knee injury. He struggled with some some knee stuff too. I remember, but uh, both those guys obviously had wonderful careers um, for you at St. Ed's, and then went on Iowa Conference. Uh, you know, Zach playing down at Central and and Nick yeah. over at BV, and so um, had some kids. And like I said, I mean for coach to be able to get runner up and just year after year and just find yourself down in Des Moines. Um, it, I mean, is there anything you can share with us? I mean, how was this? Was it, was there something, something quirky that you did? Was it the league that you played in? Was it, what was it that was able to continue to build this tradition? A big thing you mentioned the league that we played in, we had really good coaches in the league through those years. So they would switch up defenses. Like one team would, you know, you guys, I know with Rosanke, he'd play that one, three, one, and it was just a monster and he could extend it. They would extend it with good athletes and then they drop it back. Uh, I remember they were a number eight seed and they beat Kyle Carver, Corver's number one seed, uh, Pella, Pella Christian, no, it was Pella Public. Yep. They were number one, and they, they had like one kid, they had a Doster kid that averaged 12 points a game. He was the only double-figure scorer for them. And I knew, I mean, I'm going, they, they we played them. They are tough defensively. We ended up beating Pella in the first round at a state tournament. Yeah. One double-figure scorer. But that was, the, that was how things were for us night in and night out all the time. You just really, you, you got to see a lot of different defenses. You got to see a lot of good coaches, you know, they'd make adjustments. So you'd have to make an adjustment. It kind of hones the craft there a little bit. And uh, 
it's, it's really good for the kids. You know, you're coming up against a lot of good athletes too. Uh, I think that was a big thing. Um, and again, it, you know, it gets back to that success. Those, those guys want to, they want to get down there. There's a tradition now and they want to uphold that. Well, one, I think that you competitive, I think you guys always, you know, the teams in which that I've seen of yours guys have always overachieved in some way in which that you're, that's credit to you and getting the most out of those guys. Um, you know, taking these long runs and playing into March, um, is a tough balance for coach as well, but, so how do you keep practice competitive? How do you keep the guys engaged and, and ultimately, you know, get those guys playing their best basketball at the end of the year? Well, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. It's part of the deal. You just try, you try to teach that, you know, there's a pride there, you know, you don't win all your games, but you want to compete against people. You want to get better. Um, and so you try to instill that in them, the importance of, you know, maybe we won't win every game this year, or maybe we, you know, we won't go to the state tournament, but we, we still, you know, we're St. Ed's and we want to compete. We want to give people battles here and, and feel good about it. And you know, we want to box out. You want to D up and move the basketball on offense. And uh, they, they kind of bought into that a lot of it. Cause you know, even in the down years, I mean, I remember one parent, he was our scoreboard guy and we won 19 games. And he said, you created the monster. They're, they're talking about how bad you're doing. You know, after you went to the state tournament, you're down years with 19 wins a couple of times in there. And, and uh, <clears throat> those kids competed. They really bought into that, the pride aspect of it, of having pride in yourself, taking pride in, you know, the guys that went before you, because you want to, you know, be able to come back. We have a great alumni tournament too. I mean, it was, a, it was a staple for years and years and years where those guys wanted to come back and play each other again. And they wanted, you know, they wanted to tell their stories and these guys wanted to tell their stories. And so that, that was the neatest, one of the neat things for me to be part of was that alumni tournament. And, and then it got to be about, after a while, it got to be only my players. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, was, that tells you around a while. <laughs> Absolutely. But also tells you just what you've done and what you've built there to, those guys, the pride that, that you mentioned that they want to play for the Gales and have that wear the green and white and, you know, have success because that's what they watched in the stands as fourth graders and as fifth graders. And they remember going down there as a seventh grader. And so that uh, um, that goes a long way uh, in instilling everything. And it sounds like you running camps and, and getting those guys prepared too is a, is a huge piece. Um, the youth program is always huge. Got to get those, yeah. those guys involved and in going at an early age. But um so when things are when, when things are finally done and, and and come to an end and you decide uh, to to hang the whistle up, what do you what do you, what do you want uh, um, everyone to remember the most uh, about the St. Ed's Gale and ultimately uh, Adolph Kokendorfer's um, coaching career? Well, I don't know. You know, I I I coached hard and I'm an intense coach, but I'm also a pretty fair guy, a, pr a pretty good guy. I really am. We had a lot of fun. I remember like Robert Flattery, he was the uh, Terry Griffey Award winner. That's our big sports award. And he said he, in that, they had an interview with him in a paper and he goes, you know, coaches practices were pretty hard. We didn't always look forward to them, but you know what? I got to say this. We always had a lot of fun and I could tell you stories of things. Um, well, that 016, this is just an example. I wanted to, you know, remember the fun they had too. It was tough, hard work to be good, but we also had some fun. I remember Brian Sandbeg. This was like the 09 team with John Engler and those guys. And, and we had, uh, Brian was on the second team during his practice. And uh, 
he was, uh, oh, Brian Huss was guarding him. And Brian Tavig averaged like two points a game and started, but he, he would D up hard. And he went to Iowa State on a track scholarship. He was a very good athlete, very good football player. But he would, he would always square up to the rim, you know, when he caught the ball. And kids are taught to step to that when they square up. You always step to, and then he reversed the ball. And uh, he very seldom shot it. But he was guarding, you know, Brian, Brian Huss, who was our three-point shooter, was guarding Brian Sandvik in the corner all the time. You know, we were going up and down. And, and I finally just stopped and said, because this other guy was scoring, we needed the help on him. I said, Brian, why are you guarding Brian Sandvik in the corner? If he ever makes a shot, I'll, I don't know where I come up with this. I'll buy you a chocolate cake. I have, I have no problem with that. Next step down, leave Sandvig open, Sandvig drills it, and they never, ever let me forget that one. <laughs> we go to Clear Lake like a week later and having a cake, you know, a bake sale at halftime, and so I got to go out there and buy them that cake, and oh, they're just going crazy. Um, uh, stupid stuff like that, you know, it was so much, a lot of fun, a lot of little stuff. But those, those are those are the things, like you said, the little things that you're going to yeah. remember the most, uh, the bus rides, the summer leagues. Um, you know, exactly. obviously the, the trips, the trips down to, to, to Wells Fargo and to um, the barn are going to be, you know, in the state championship, but it's the little things. It's the little things exactly. as a coach. It's something that, um, you know, for myself being uh, obviously player and then moving on to the coaching side, like you get as a coach, you get more excited for practice. Like you just love practice and, and the growth. And whereas it, as a player and a kid, you're like, OK, well, who do we play on Friday? Like, what's the game? Look, you know, you're just only looking the games. And so it's fun to obviously have both sides. Um, but on the coaching side, you, you cherish the little things a lot more. And ultimately, you hope that the players do as well. And so, um, well, coach, before we before we let you get out of here, we have to do rapid fire. Um, we always end each of our podcasts with a little rapid fire. So we're going to throw a few few questions at you here. Um, some about basketball, some not. Um, and I, all we ask is just just what comes to mind first and foremost. All right. All right. All right. So first, uh, first one, we always lead with this favorite visiting uh gym or arena that you like to that you enjoy coaching in or have coached in uh, it just about every one of them they all kind of blend together honestly guy with elgona had a nice floor uh, you know garrigan was dark uh they were they all kind of blend together i mean there's no one that i could it would just stand out to me um where does where does old uh <clears throat> jeff jim rate in that in that well, line they had the worst locker rooms. I, I remember getting lost down under there. Um, it, it was fun. It was a, that's that was a lot of fun because of how competitive it was. I remember our guys taking the ball out. I mean, we beat them that one year with Brownlee and them, and they were rated like fourth or fifth in three A, and they beat us by by one point at. at right after the Christmas break and then we beat them by eight or ten at our place but I remember us taking the ball out and they had that theater seating like those seats and you know when we get introduced they put the they put the paper up like they were reading the paper all the student section and then I remember pulling guys pulling the jersey out of one of our, our players taking the ball out of bounds and stuff but but it was it was part of the deal you didn't even you didn't blink an eye it's just how you got to deal with that stuff it made you better because you could deal with it but that's interesting you brought that up jeff jim was quite the place to play it, it was and it was loud and like you said those with those that balcony kind of like over like hung over the court so it felt like they were on top of you um and then um 
we call it the silo, but Eagle Grove, that silo that uh, they played in there. And I remember um, Jensen, Jensen uh, would have been O'Hearn and Jensen leaked out and got a dunk right before halftime. Uh, one of the times we were playing there and that, I mean, ears were ringing when we went in um, at the locker room at halftime there. I mean, that was, uh, that was an interesting place too to show up at Eagle Grove. But. Yeah, it seemed like it was kind of dingy, didn't it? Kind of dark. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always told the kids the rim seemed soft, though. They really did. They seemed like it was a great place to shoot. And I'd always bring that up in the locker room. God, if I was a kid, I would love to play on these rims. They're so soft. We usually shot pretty good there. Yeah, that was definitely a shooter's gym. I mean, the backdrop and everything on that uh, um, was a lot easier, especially easier than trying to show up at the barn and, and shoot at those those freestanding oh, yeah. hoops out in the middle of what felt like nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, it was a tough place. Jensen played, didn't he pitch for like Creighton or, or Nebraska? I think he pitched. I think for. he went to Nebraska. Yeah, he was long and lengthy and athletic. I mean, that was he was he was a good little ball player too. But um, well, all right, coach, yeah. coach. So Wells Fargo or Vets Auditorium? Uh, there's a little bit of good stuff about both. If I was a kid, the experience at Wells Fargo is so neat the locker rooms, because it's like a semi-pro gym and the locker rooms in your lockers, you know, are like a, a step up from definitely anything you get to experience. I think that's neat. But the tradition of, of, uh, of vets, you know, <clears throat> reminds you of like old Fog Allen. I, I was there once, you know, where you can almost see the smoke in the air from people smoking cigars. And we just had that real traditional, it was just dripping with tradition. So both of them had something going that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and obviously Wells Fargo is a is a wonderful arena, but uh, those those bleachers and moving oh. fans off to the side to bring the other ones in, and just like that whole experience, um, and everyone standing and jumping and wild, it was, um, yeah. it, it's something special. But um, yeah. Yeah. Well, coach, I might know the answer to this one based off of talking off air before we got on. But what's your uh, what's your all time favorite sports movie? It's probably Hoosiers, yeah. I mean, it's all right now. In fact, I, like I told you, Brian, I could watch it a couple times a week. My wife gets, how can you watch that? <laughs> like, God, it's so cool. I mean, yeah, I, I, that's probably one of my, if not my favorite, one of them for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so who's the who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Uh, probably Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, those guys. That's when I was growing up in seventh and eighth grade uh, for the New York Knicks. I really like those guys. Team ball. I love that. It's it's so funny. We talk. We ask most of our guests this question, and the age demographic is awesome because you get different different yeah. responses based off of where they fall. And so I love the fact that you came with Walt Frazier. That's great. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, getting an opportunity to come with Fort Dodge and and, and watch a game. Uh, where's the best place for us to go either before or after to get a bite to eat and, and maybe a cold drink? Community pizza. Yeah, that's really good pizza. And, you know, they, I, I've heard they have really cold beer there. So <laughs> when we love pizza, we, we, uh, we usually get into, um, we usually get into the pizza talk on here too. It's, uh, um, it seems to be one of those things that goes with basketball for whatever reason. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but um all right uh two more here and we'll get you out coach um so obviously shooters touch is the name of our podcast here what what do you think it means to you if um one of your players would have the shooters touch that'd be great yeah <laughs> awesome and i appreciate you 
having me on here, Brian. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Hey, no, absolutely, Coach. We appreciate you taking time. Last one here before we get you out, though. Um, all these years, um, you've, you've mentioned it throughout the pod, but what is what is ultimately the best thing of, about having the opportunity to be the head coach of the St. Ed Scales? You know, winning is really neat, and that's a big part of it. A lot of hard work goes into that. And this is, it might sound cliche, but it it is the relationships. When you have a chance to sit down and talk to kids that have gone through here, and you know, talk about the fun times. But we did uh, we did kind of a podcast with Timmy and those guys, and and it was the old it was the old six team. And here those guys that didn't get to play. There was a bunch of them there. Talk about what they were doing in the hotel room and stuff like that. You never knew it. We did this and we did that. I mean, that's it's kind of funny. I did kind of have an idea. I caught him a couple of times, but uh, it, those are the times that um, you know it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, just those relationships are huge. So couldn't, winning great, but couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's something that uh, I know we mentioned several times tonight on the pod here, but uh, the relationships that you're able to form um, will last a lifetime. It's what makes this great, this game so special, and what makes coaching at any level um, so great and so rewarding. Um, you know, there's a lot of time, a lot of effort that goes into it. It can be very thankless at times. Um, but as you've mentioned, having support of your community for, for all these years now um, and the families in which it have gone through, um, it's something that uh, obviously you've, you've earned and you deserve. And we wish you the best of luck here moving forward. Coach, we'll be following along, obviously, with your journey and your team and uh, the yeah. continued progress. And uh, again, we, we appreciate you taking some time and jumping on the podcast with us. Thanks a lot, Ryan. It was a lot of fun.